Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to our show. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, nine volumes available in paperback and ebook at Amazon. And if you like the audio gig, you can get volumes one through eight at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. So please go out and buy some books and show some support for your host. And now, without any further ado, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing all right, Bill. How about you? Fantastic, man. Have you been catching any of the uh, Winter Olympics? Only a little bit. I was I was traveling this week. I was down in Florida on business looking for skunk apes, but I didn't see any. <laughs> <laughs> My, I love the uh, Winter Olympics, some of the uh, 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 games that they play. But I want to give a big shout out to our listeners in Michigan and particularly the, in particular the Upper Peninsula, uh, a fellow named Nick Baumgartner and his partner, Lindsay Jacobellis, won gold in the snowboarding snowcross event yesterday. Oh, I haven't even seen the snowboarding snowcross, so that's yeah. got to be a new event, right? Yeah, it's like a motocross on snowboards. Nice. And uh, Is that like the team event where they're kind of going down at the same time, slamming into one another and stuff? Well, they can get knocked into each other. I mean, it's close quarter combat at times, yeah. you know. Okay, I have seen that. Yeah. But now they had uh, Lindsey Jacobellis won gold in the women's. Uh, Nick did well enough to place in this second round as a team member with Lindsey, and both of them won gold uh, both individually and as a pair in the team event. And, you know, what I, I love about the Olympics is that Nick is 40 years old. And wow. as a matter of fact, Sean White, who basically oh, yeah. created the half-pipe snowboard uh, event and all the stunting on the snowboards, he ran and he's his, like he's like 80 now, right? Yeah. He, he, <laughs> actually, this was his last Olympics. He actually had a damn good chance of getting on the podium, but he hit the rim at a half pipe on his last run. Ah. At 35 years old, he's done, but he was teary-eyed and everything, but... Oh, yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a class act. 
Yeah, he's a good guy. And all of the young young guys lined up to, you know, shake hands with him and high-five him, knowing this was his last Olympics and an appreciation for what he had done. Obviously, they're following in his footsteps. He started the whole thing, you know? Yeah. So it's it's pretty cool that uh, it's not only for the young ones, but like I said, Nick Baumgartner and Upa from the Upper Peninsula. I was going to say, Bill, hopefully one of them was wearing a official dogman hat <laughs> from the uh, Michigan Upper Peninsula. <laughs> i tell you what, Nick had a pretty heavy dogman beard going on. There you go. Well, you know, <laughs> when in Rome. <laughs> I didn't see any fangs protruding, though, but he might maybe, have been Maybe eyeing. like some uh, big uh, furry boot covers with claws on the front. That would actually be cool. I'm going to have to look yeah. into those for my snowboarding boots. And I'll tell you what, I, I think I mentioned to you, I picked up a really cool track, Bigfoot track from the North American Bigfoot Museum. Oh, a print. A print, a yeah. print yeah. Casting uh, or whatever? Casting. Kudos to uh, Cliff uh, Barrickman over there uh, setting that place up, you know, and show some support for these people, folks. Go on their website and uh, buy something from them just to help them do what they do. What a great cast. Uh, and the background behind it was that it was given to him from a uh, retired cop who had collected a lot of Bigfoot stuff, and he got it from a couple that was hiking in uh, uh, Washington, Oregon area uh, and was kind of clearing out some of his stuff and uh, gave it to uh, Cliff. Cool. Uh, what a cool track, man. Uh, like 15 inches long, maybe 7 or 8 inches behind the toes by the ball of the foot. Nice. What a, just to have it in my hands. I mean, it's just cool, cool stuff. Very cool. Yeah, so uh, interesting, you know, really interesting. Anyways, so what do you have uh, for the cryptids in the news and other oddities segment today? Well, today we're going to go and visit a vampire grave. Nice. (laughs) I mean, you can go yourself. I'm not too interested. Well, I'm going to take you on the journey. So you have to, (laughs) if you're sitting there with all the lights on listening to this, you should turn off the lights. (laughs) Maybe light a candle and don't don't go too far from the garlic or a cross. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is a pretty cool story that was written in uh, uh, 2014 by Rachel Neuer. Okay. And um, the uh, the title is Vampire Grave in Bulgaria Holds a Skeleton with a Stake Through Its Heart. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> super cool. And, uh, and yeah. there's a great picture of this skeleton with the iron stake through its, where its heart would be that I will put up on our, uh, on our website, BigFaturianWoods.com. Under episode 137. So check wow. that out, folks. It's pretty cool. All right. So, uh... so, yeah, so recently, you know, when this was written in 2014, some archaeologists in Bulgaria, which, of course, I've ho- heard of Bulgaria, Bill, but it is one of the countries 
over there in the east that I haven't been to yet, one of the few. And uh, so I had to look it up again to see where it was. So I'll tell you guys about that. And uh, and I apologize if any of you Bulgarians are out there, but it's south of Romania. So, you know, that's where Transylvania is, of course. Yes. Um, yes. yes. So it borders Romania to the north, uh, east of Serbia. North of Greece, and uh, on its east coast is the Black Sea. So it's kind of a cool location. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, these archaeologists, they uncovered a 13th century um, skeleton in a coffin, of course, that was staked right through the heart with an iron stake. Jeez. And they think this vampire and the little village is called Purple. Purpuracon, Purpuracon. Okay, and it's and it's uh, in an ancient where an ancient city uh, of the Thracian people uh, lived back in the fifth century BC. Wow. So you know, it, it's interesting. You know, a lot of people over in that region had weird suspicions about uh, different things, and in particular, vampires. You know, yeah. you you could just it was like the witch trials in Salem. You could just be accused of being a vampire. And yeah, we're we're going to talk about it too because there were some sicknesses back then that were very common. You know, and some of them are around today, but a couple of them are uh, wiped out uh, for humans. And um, they, you know, the theory is that you could have some of these sicknesses, and that might make people think you're a vampire and then there's some crazy stuff too that you might have which we'll talk about like if you're missing a finger or have a deformed finger or missing a toe somehow you know you were a vampire great yeah so (laughs) oh boy (laughs) so better better uh, get that guy he's missing a finger but he's a woodworker no 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 (laughs) drive a stake through his heart (laughs) you know really kev you know we look at the days and times that we live in now, but I'm telling you, you go back in time and the world was much more violent. Oh, yeah. And uh, you had no protection. Uh, no. You know, if, if a gang if a gang decided that you were a vampire, where were you going to go? They'd run you down. Yeah, well, and it's, uh, you know, we don't want to get into that whole behavior, but it happens today. It's that mob behavior. All of a sudden, if a few people start doing it or saying it, then, like, it's okay. You know, whereas if you had any one of those people by themselves, they wouldn't do it. You know, they'd be like, that's crazy. You know, but a few people do it. It's like, yeah, yeah, he is a vampire. Look at his teeth. They're kind of pointy. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, this corpse, they say the man was likely in his 40s. And you can see in the photograph, there's an iron rod that's hammered through his chest. And they say it's to keep him from rising from the dead and disturbing the living. And just in case that iron stake would fail, they also cut off his left leg and placed it beside the corpse in the casket. So he couldn't walk around, you know, unless he made a peg leg or something like that. I mean, he can still turn into a bat and fly around. Well, yeah, they didn't cover that aspect of it. Remember Bela Lugosi in those old Dracula movies? Oh, yeah. 
They'd have that bat with the strings on the wings flapping around outside the window. <laughs> yeah, and the black and black and white black and white films, right? Yeah, great stuff, man. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah so they, they so I talked about the fact that back then anyone who was missing a finger had an appendage, any kind of appendage that might look a little bit like an animal's appendage. But get this, Bill, or anybody with a general horrible appearance. So, you know, if you were, if you were on the ugly side of things, you were regarded as one who is dead. <laughs> yeah, like, well, talk about ugly. How about that guy that played the part of Nosferatu? <laughs> you you can't get any uglier than that little bastard. <laughs> I don't know if that was makeup or real, but the, he had one part and one part only in the cinema, <laughs> cinema industry. <laughs> so so you know, in addition to driving an iron stake through their heart to keep them from moving around, cutting their legs off so they couldn't walk around. Again, didn't cover the flying bat part of it. Uh-huh. Um, also, fire. <laughs> could kill these creatures if you saw them out walking at night. Um, And get this, Bill, I never saw this before, but it was believed that people who were born on a Saturday were thought to be very good and have almost a special gift of being a vampire hunter. Ah. Well, so, I don't know. I, I don't know what day of the week I was born on. Do you? I know. I didn't have a chance to look it up, but I'm going to go on the old Internet and backtrack to uh, my birth date and see if I was born on a Saturday. Maybe I've been doing the wrong job my whole life. <laughs> yeah, you could have find a little side gig as a vampire. Could be a little though. side gig or <laughs> or even a retirement gig. <laughs> I can't KJ wait G- to change my <laughs> LinkedIn profile to Vampire Hunter. <laughs> Yeah, you make up some little business cards, KJ and Vampire Hunter. Yeah, and then like, you know, on the resume, born on a Saturday. <laughs> what else do you have to know? Now listen, if you were born on a Saturday and born on the bayou, <laughs> uh, then you'd really you you could be a Rougarou hunter and a vampire hunter. I was gonna say I might be riding a Rougarou hunting the vampires. <laughs> <laughs> so so they say that around this same region, archaeologists have unearthed over 100 graves in which the remains have been pinned down uh, into the grave with these uh, iron stakes. Wow. So definitely some hysteria going on back then. Yeah, yeah. Chasing the vampire. It's, isn't it hard to believe? Hey, you know. Just strange goings on, you know, Vlad the Impaler, vampire hunters, you know, the, 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 the stuff that was going on and that people had to deal with, you know, depending oh, on who yeah. you ran into. Imagine, yeah. be, imagine being a stranger, you know, when you're trying to find a new home or a place to live and you've hiked over hill and dale with your horse and you, and you enter into this town uh, remember, remember the movie Kev, uh, American Werewolf in London? Oh, it's one of my favorites. Okay, so when the when the guys entered into that, uh, that the slaughtered lamb, yeah, when they walked into the slaughtered lamb and everybody was kind of eyeballing them and yeah. antisocial, you know, I'm getting that kind of vibe, you know. <laughs> You're not welcome here. Yeah, 
You oh, can't yeah. send them out there on a full moon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable. You know, I mean, but those kind of things were a reality. Yeah. Uh, uh, in those days, you know, you, you walked into a town and they were like, what are you doing here? Yeah. What You're do you not want? welcome. Right. Move on. Yes. You know, wow, you know, can I have something yeah, so, to eat? So I mentioned that there were some scientific or sicknesses, scientific reasons, um, where whereby, you know, people looking back in time believe uh, people could have been mistaken for, you know, what they what legend said was a vampire. So mm-hmm. not just missing a digit or being a little homely. <laughs> but so yeah. one of them was the disease uh rabies so back then you know humans would get rabies of course we pretty much wiped that out by uh you know uh vaccinating our pets and uh having all of the animal control groups and stuff like that that if you see a a wild uh, raccoon that has rabies or whatever you know somebody will come out and take care of it if you don't take care of it um, but people people used to get rabies. And when people got rabies back then, they say, you know, they were very aggressive, of course, erratic and crazy, right? Because it would attack their brain. Mm-hmm. And they could also uh, uh, be driven to bite people. Wow. Yeah. Pretty so interesting, like, right? You, you turn into a raccoon? <laughs> it's called the vampire, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Look out for Bill, he's a raccoon. Ah! <laughs> yeah, and there's another uh another disorder not related to rabies <laughs> called porphyria. Uh-huh. And uh porphyria uh is characterized by extreme sensitivity to sunlight. And uh not only are you very sensitive to sunlight, you can get um uh very you can have uh blisters form very quickly on exposed skin, uh, usually on your hands, arms, or face, if you go out in the sun. And then you also have very fragile and very thin skin um, and, you know, almost transparent skin. Hmm. Yep. And then lastly, you can... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, you can imagine the effect that would have on some people who were given to... uh you know, uh, strange thoughts, you know, like, hey, did you notice what's going on with Kevin? His skin yeah, you notice we, you keep, know, we keep asking Bill to come over in the evening and he won't come out of his house. Yeah, he's got I blisters mean, in the daytime, all over him. I'm sorry, I got that mixed up. We keep asking Bill <laughs> to go out to lunch with us at the pub and he never comes out. We know he's in there. He won't come out anytime during the day. And he does have that weird transparent skin. And the one time he did come out, remember, (laughs) he was like, ah, and he's getting these blisters on his body. I'd say he's a vampire. Yeah. And he tried to bite me. like the old and, cartoon the old cartoon yeah. when they were on the desert island and the guy started looking at the other guy and he turned into a sabrette hot dog on a bun yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he started chasing him around to eat him <laughs> well and the last one and and although they the prior two are pretty interesting there's a story yeah. <laughs> that goes along with this one uh-huh. um it's related to tuberculosis all right 
And um, back in the 19th century, here in the United States, Rhode Island was considered to be the vampire capital of America. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. And back then, it turns out a lot of people also had tuberculosis. Now, back then, they called this disease consumption. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard that, Bill. I've heard that, of course. Yeah. And and basically, you know, um, tuberculosis, of course, attacks the lungs. It's highly contagious. Back then, there was no cure for it. And uh, kind of some weird treatments, you know, where they basically lock everybody up that had tuberculosis. But early on, you know, at this time in the 1700s, I don't even think they knew what it was, you know. Mm-hmm. So they just knew it was this weird thing. And and this consumption disease and, and part of why it had this name was that it seemed like people were having the life sucked out of them. And some people believed that this was happening due to a supernatural creature, Hmm. right? Because you would basically lose a tremendous amount of weight, become physically weak, get pale, have fevers, you know, hallucinations, and then you could also cough up blood. Hmm. So, you know, you're, I don't know, I saw him, he was acting crazy, and then he had blood dripping out of the sides of his mouth. Yeah, just horrific. You can see how that would go, right? Yeah, yeah, no doubt, especially uh, with the unlearned, you know. Oh, no doubt about it. So so there's a story that goes along this with this of Mercy Brown in Exeter, Rhode Island. Okay, so mm-hmm. Mercy Brown died of tuberculosis in 1892. And in the weeks after her death, her brother began suffering the symptoms of tuberculosis. And less than, of course, they didn't know what tuberculosis was, though, right? That You know, they didn't say you have tuberculosis, and maybe they didn't even say you had consumption back then. Like, they just knew she was sick and she died, and then all of a sudden her brother's acting the same way and looking the same way. Yeah. So about two months go by after Mercy died, and the people of Exeter dug up her body, as well as those of her dead mother and dead sister, who also died of tuberculosis a few years earlier. And they said, basically, because so many people in the same family have died of this disease, the townspeople suspected a vampire was at work. Boy, oh boy. Is this crazy or what? This is in 1892 in Rhode Island. Yeah, not that long ago. Not that long ago. Hey, let's dig up the whole family's graves. Bill, you got a shovel? Boy, boy. <laughs> Crazy. So get this, and it gets crazier. Excuse me. When they found Mercy's body to be more intact than those of her relatives. Okay, wait a minute. Her relatives died a few years earlier. Mm-hmm. She died a few months ago. Her body was more intact. There must be something wrong. <laughs> Gotta be. What else could it be? So what conclusion did they come to, Bill? She's a vampire. She's a vampire! <laughs> they removed the heart, uh, burned the heart, and fed the ashes to Edwin. Uh, uh, oh and guess what? Edwin died of tuberculosis. But of course, he had tuberculosis before they fed him the ashes of the heart. Unbelievable. 1692. Uh, 1892. I'm sorry, 1892. I can't talk yeah. today. I apologize. No, that's okay. I'm, I'm following you. Wow. Yeah. Thank goodness you're following me. 
Yeah, no, no, I mean, you're talking about that was four years after the Statue of Liberty was delivered to New York Harbor. Ah, could, could be. So, Sounds you know, right. I mean, I, I mean, just it's it's absolutely bizarre that these things are still going on. What a hundred and thirty years ago? Yeah, in in New England, you yeah. know. Uh, one of the first areas settled, you know, so it wasn't like even the Wild West or anything. Right, right. You know, oh, man, it's just unbelievable. So that's our little glimpse into a vampire grave. But folks, check out the photo, too. It's definitely worth uh, the trip to uh, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Again, under episode 137, you'll scroll down and you'll see the photograph. Incredible, Kev. That was a pretty interesting exegesis uh, going back from Romania or Bulgaria uh, forward to Rhode Island in the world of vampires, man. Jeez. So it wasn't (laughs) limited. It wasn't limited to any particular area. This this, uh, phenomenon or this suspicion was uh, going on in many different locations over quite a period of time, the idea of uh, uh, vampirism going on, you know? Yeah. I mean, Eastern Europe definitely was a hotbed early Mm -hmm. on, for sure. Mm -hmm. And and then, uh, you know, I'm sure people that came over from Europe into the New World, so to speak, brought those uh, superstitions with them. Yeah, incredible. Really incredible. Good job with that, Kev. Very, very interesting uh, and informative. And, you know, speaking of interesting and informative, I have an account here. Uh, And what I like about some of these accounts, guys, you know from listening to me and Kevin, I like the details, and I like when people are, like, really informative. And uh, this one here... Uh, is like a history lesson that brings us into a Bigfoot encounter. So stay with me on this and kind of uh, enjoy the ride because to me it's really interesting. Uh, it was brought to my attention by a fellow named Stephen Casali, a resident, Kev, dig this, Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. Hey, I know Raleigh, Durham. Yeah. And... Uh, This is his account in his own words. My friend Lance and I are avid United States history buffs with a special focus on military history. So we felt compelled to walk some sections of the Overland Mountain Victory Trail. Now, guys, before I continue, anybody has any other information about this Overland Mountain Victory Trail area, uh, give us a shout at BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com and let me know what you know. Now, it's not my intent to give you some grandiose history lesson, but since most are unfamiliar with the trail, I will give you a very brief introduction to its history. The trail runs from Virginia to South Carolina. Quite long and arduous if you attempt to traverse the whole thing, which is exactly what some early American defenders of liberty and freedom did. 
We owe a lot to those brave individuals. Most of the pudgy Americans of today couldn't even attempt it. I like this guy already. In 1780, during the heat of the American Revolution, a British colonel named Patrick Ferguson sent a military messenger to a group located in the region of Tennessee and the western part of North Carolina known as the Backwater Men. His message was a simple one. You must cease in your opposition to the British Army and lay down your arms immediately. If they refuse to do so, he said the following, I will march with my army over the mountains, hang your leadership, and I will lay your country to waste with fire and the sword. Well, Ferguson never got the chance to march through the mountains after them because the following month, Ferguson was killed at King's Mountain by the very same backwater men that he had threatened the month before. So much for Ferguson. (laughs) Now, (laughs) Now, let me break for a moment to tell you something. These backwater boys were tough, and this trail is by no means a walk in the park. They also weren't wearing bean hiking boots and down jackets. These were rugged, no bull men, made of the same kind of stuff this country was built on. The trail itself is beautiful in every aspect. And there are also a lot of artifacts and structures that are still intact along the route. Part of the old trail in Altapass, North Carolina, was the location of a mountain pass through the Blue Ridge Mountains, used during colonial times. There, we found ourselves passing through a mature apple orchard, which had its apples ripened in all of their glorious splendor upon our arrival. We were making no noise when we entered the orchard. The trees were planted in and surrounded by lush green grass growing in soft soil. Our entrance into the orchard was as quiet as it could have possibly been. While we were sitting for a few minutes munching on some of the apples, we noticed something dark moving, maybe 150 or 200 feet away from us in the orchard. Because of all the trees, we could only see flashes of whatever it was. My immediate thought was that we were looking at a black bear, but what would swiftly but that would be swiftly proven to be incorrect. Just a few minutes later, we realized we were not only seeing that we were only seeing the lower legs of this creature. Not only were they black and covered in hair, but they were exceptionally large in girth. This creature was standing on one foot and extending its other leg backwards for what appeared to be balance 
which allowed us to see the soles of the feet. These feet looked like the bottom of a deerskin moccasin with black fur trim. It was not the foot of a black bear. It was plus size, and I mean really big. Even at the distance we were looking, it seemed like a snowshoe. Additionally, black bears generally don't walk on their hind legs or balance on one leg. This thing really had our attention now, but it was only a moment before the legs disappeared from view. We were waiting quietly and patiently for its return when this creature suddenly came back into our view walking on two legs between a couple of apple trees. In that brief moment, we knew it was a Bigfoot, picking and eating apples in a daylight orchard. I started to tremble, and my heart was racing a mile a minute. The creature was totally preoccupied with the feast at hand. I don't believe it saw us but we sure did see it. Judging by the heights of the surrounding trees, it must have been nine or ten feet tall and massive. With one of its arms extended and a slight lean to its torso, it was able to reach into the center of a fairly large tree, which to me meant that its arms had to have been six or seven feet long. The length of its body extended its reach even further. At one point, it must have knocked down or dropped something that it wanted because it grunted in a way that almost sounded frustrated. It stayed in a small area of six to eight trees for quite a while, before it disappeared. We waited and waited, but it didn't return, and we hadn't seen where it gone, where it had gone. Quite a while later, we found out that this was a public orchard, and I couldn't help thinking about someone with a family running across this thing while picking apples. Now, I had asked Steve to elaborate on the creature if possible. And this is what he said. I briefly caught a glimpse of the face as it turned from one branch to another. It was very weathered and wrinkly looking. The skin was dark and its nose was broad and flat to the face. I would say the face was 50% covered with hair as well. The base of its foot looked like a giant piece of leather, like the finish on a really well-used leather basketball that you might find lying in the street. It had to have been all of 1,500 pounds, with its forearms looking like my thighs, and I weigh about 235. I can't understand how this thing walks around picking apples unseen. How does this happen? We weren't exactly in the middle of nowhere when we saw it, and this was during a beautiful, sunny afternoon. 
You can't make this up. I mean, I wish I could embellish it and tell you that we were stranded in a cabin in snowy mountains, and this abominable Bigfoot creature tried to trash the cabin and kill everyone. But such was not the case with this encounter. So there you have it. Make sure you leave some apples for the Bigfoot. <laughs> what do you think of that, Kev? I'll tell you what, Bill. If, if they're not next to a stream or a river, they're in an apple orchard. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, I mean we, we have a lot of accounts of uh, Bigfoots hanging out in apple orchards. And why not, Kev, right? Free food. Hey, I love apples. Maybe I'm part Bigfoot. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen deer. Uh, I was coming out of Connectquat Park one evening, uh, time having run out on my uh, trout fishing, and I walked up on a herd of deer uh, back in the woods. And uh, one or two of the deer were up on their hind legs picking green leaves off of a tree. Mm. And and I just thought of that when I was thinking about this Bigfoot because if that was an apple tree, the deer would be up there munching on some apples. Sure. Any any creature would go for look at look at the Martha eating tomatoes. Oh, she likes apples too, to be clear. I I, I believe it. <laughs> yeah. But if we had an know, apple tree and it was down low enough, there would be no apples on it. Absolutely. So why should it shock anybody that a Bigfoot might be eating wheat, uh, grains, corn, corn off the stalk, uh, apples, pears, whatever. Fish in a stream trying to get them. We've heard of that. Uh, I mean, they're opportunistic. You know, they no eat doubt whatever. about it. You know, look at bears dumpster diving. <laughs> you know, they, they don't care, man. Old Mickey D's French fries. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Come on, Bill. You're making me hungry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> me too. I could go for a cheeseburger. <laughs> hey, Out of way, a dumpster or maybe not? <laughs> by, <laughs> by the way, speaking of uh, cheeseburgers, I took my first Uber ride this morning. Wow. Welcome to the world. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, downloaded the app. Uh, the other day and having never done it before and I used the Uber to go pick up my car at the dealer this morning and uh, really cool I mean uh, the car shows up it tells you who the guy is his license plate number it gives you a rating for him as a driver and then it said he'll be there in 12 minutes and showed me where he was on the map yep so I just followed the car up uh, route 112 and down uh 25, and next thing you know, I was at the end of the driveway, and there he was. And, Very and the cool. Great, the great thing was you don't have to have any cash on you. You just had my credit card in there. and boom, No, that's boom, why boom. they're doing so well. The app is fantastic. You don't have to talk to anybody. You don't have to do anything. And then I don't know if you know it, Bill. You like you rated him at the end, right? It, it, it'll, the app will ask you how is the ride, and you can give him one to five stars. But they also rate you. So that determines, um, you know, how many folks, how fast they come to pick you up. Oh, okay. So they say yeah, which a good, I think is super a gr- cool. Great customer, you know. Yeah. So if you're a jerk, 
you get one star from the driver. And if you get a bunch of one stars, guess what? It's going to take a while for them to pick you up. <laughs> yeah. Until <laughs> somebody they just decides they're going to take a shot and go over to. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I also, back to the Bigfoot, I like the uh, the description was very typical of what we've heard in the past, right? With uh, the, uh, um, how did he describe the bottoms of the feet? Well, he said originally that they look like the sole of a, a moccasin with right. fur on the outside. Right, right. I've heard that before. And then the, the broad, flat nose, you know, dark, deep-set eyes, very typical description. Yeah, and tall. Yeah. I, I mean, they were estimating, he said this was a mature orchard. Yeah. So, you know, I guess at some point orchards are trimmed, but... Who knows if anybody was really taking care of this place? You know, the grass yeah. was long. Yeah. Uh, but, hey, the trees are going to grow apples whether somebody takes care of them or not. You know, it's oh, just that's nature. For sure. That's for sure. But uh, how about reaching and leaning into the tree, you know, yeah. like it was picking its favorite apple that it saw, you know? Uh, there it is. I've been waiting for you. You look ready to eat today. (laughs) I mean, it's just amazing to me. And his observation that, you know, we weren't in this dreary landscape locked in a cabin being attacked somewhere in the middle of nowhere. This was broad daylight in a sunny afternoon. Yep. And he's making the observation that, hey, can you imagine some people walking in here with their kids, grabbing some apples, and this thing's in there? Yep. Freaky, man. I, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, so much for traveling around looking for Bigfoot at night with infrared and uh, flashlights. <laughs> Do a weird thing, yeah. right, Kevin? It's a strange phenomenon, the Bigfoot creature. Yeah, And I'll tell you, with that casting, that print I got the other day, uh, to me that would be considered, I think, maybe a relatively small print, right? 15 inches long? Yeah. But when you look at the dimensions of this thing. Yeah, the width of it, too, and yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. This is like, whatever this print was supporting definitely was beefy. Walking around with surfboards on his feet. Yeah, I mean, man, you wouldn't, I'm telling you, you would not want to run into whatever was being supported by this uh, this foot. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. Because those feet are by design to support for many years uh, something very beefy and in rugged terrain, you know, where you're not cutting your feet on stepping on sticks, you know? Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, but, man... You know, one thing that's weird to me, Kev, I always wondered, maybe you could throw your two cents in. Many times I'm thought of, how does a Bigfoot, or what is a Bigfoot's defense of, say, like a copperhead or a rattlesnake? You know, I mean, they're walking around in fields and grasses and in terrain and woods and everywhere where these things... Uh, uh, live. Yeah. I, I wonder if they have some kind of immunity to a strike. Well, I, I think they certainly have a keen sense of sight. 
hearing and smell, you know, one mm. would assume that because they're so stealthy. And mm. of course, the rattlesnakes and the copperheads, like I live with the copperheads here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, a little too many of them around for me. I hate snakes and hate copperheads. Um, but they're very, the copperheads are very stealthy. Like you can't see them. Like even if I said, Bill, like especially when they're on the pine straw, uh-huh. you know, under under the tall pines, if I pointed at one and it was five feet away, you might not see it. Wow. Even if I said to you, there is one. So, so there, you know, that's tricky. The rattlesnakes, of course, the beautiful thing about a rattlesnake is they really try to tell you that they're there. Yeah, you they know? give you that little... They give, they give you give a the- warning and make you look. Now, you know, most of the people that I read about that get bitten by rattlesnakes are like uh, hiking, like uh, on a climb, like a vertical climb, and you reach around a rock or something like that so the thing doesn't have a chance to warn you and it bites you. Yeah. You know. Oh, yeah, yeah, so I don't man. know. It's a good question, Bill. Good, good question. Snake. But I, I would say it's the, uh, you know, just that additional uh, keen sense. You know, when you think of it, like humans cruising around in the woods and stuff like that, they're not paying attention. Of course, these days they're looking at their cell phone, there, so they're all getting bitten by copperheads. <laughs> you know, they're stepping on them. But I, I mean, I'm only half joking. You know, yeah, they're yeah. they're not really paying attention to their surroundings, whereas a Bigfoot, you would think, uh, would be keenly aware of everything around it. Yeah, and which is why they don't see a Bigfoot. Right. You know, I took this guy out fishing uh, a number of years ago, Mike, and uh, I figured, you know, I'll invite him out. He's caught up in car sales and Internet. And Do you know when I took him out? The whole time we were in the boat, he was looking at his website to see if anybody was knocking on his door about a car. Oh, yeah. And I said to myself, man, you're out in the water. We're fishing. It's freaking beautiful. And you can't put the damn phone down. But Did I you didn't hit him say- with an oar and throw him overboard? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just a, a, a weird thing, you know, and he's probably... Yeah. 35, you know. Well, it's mesmerizing. You know, I mean, I'm not defending it because I'm like you, Bill, although I live, I work in high tech. You know, I could justify being on the phone nonstop. I don't, you know, and and they're proven, too, that like it causes insomnia and everything else looking at the screen. Even if you have your special blue blocker glasses, which I do have. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, That's a little... My new glasses, and last year too, I got the blue block. Yeah, because you know it helps. I'm on a yeah, I'm on yeah. a computer all the time. Yeah, it helps. And, uh, it, it it definitely does help. Anyways, real good account about uh, Dracula and vampires, and uh, then we step into this account of this overland over mountain victory trail. I never heard of that. I got to check that out. Yeah, and how about it? Going from what did he say? Uh, Virginia to South Carolina or something? That's a long trail. Yeah. Very cool. And I also like that these good old boys got the jump on the British uh, officer who was threatening them. No doubt about it. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, you're going to threaten us? Very cool. (laughs) All right, we got some good listener mail too, Bill. So our first... One comes in from our friend Michelle in New York. 
And I like Michelle. You know, she writes in a lot, but I, I got a little bone to pick with you, Michelle. You wrote, hi, Bill. <laughs> but Michelle writes, hi, Bill. Another great show. I wanted to share a picture of my cast replica that Cliff Barockman had made for me ah. a few years ago at his museum. Uh-huh. It's a copy of the Elkins Creek cast out of the rural Georgia swamps. Very creepy story of a Sasquatch who is terrorizing an elderly couple, whispering their dog's name, hitting their home, throwing things in trees. Just crazy happenings. Yeah. The footprint was cast by a local sheriff, James Aiken, who was called repeatedly to help them. He's written a book and told the terrifying story on a few podcasts. Stay well and safe, Michelle from New York. Yeah, unbelievable, man. The, uh, you know, I was just talking to somebody on the phone yesterday, Kev, uh, who's had some Bigfoot activity uh, on a couple of occasions. And uh, on this property, this camp, as he calls it, which is a cabin uh, on some property upstate New York, he said his brother was coming up the driveway at night and uh, they had a gate on this road. Not really a driveway, but the road coming in. And he said, uh, like, you know, when are you guys down by the gate? And they said no. And he said... I heard a woman's voice say hello to me. And so we started talking about the the apparent ability. Now, we don't know what that woman's voice is. I mean, admittedly so. He didn't know. I don't know. But I started telling him about the sounds of car doors slamming in the middle of nowhere in the woods. Yeah. Uh, Odd sounds. And he spoke about a howl he heard that kind of started off like an animal of some kind, and then he described it as attempting to break into speaking. Mm. So that was kind of weird, but what a description, huh? Yeah. Starts off like an animal, and then he said it sounded like it was trying to break into some kind of speak. Mm. So uh, who knows, Kev? Very, yeah. very mysterious, you know? Different stuff, for sure. So, and hello cool. to Michelle. Good yeah. to hear from Michelle. Yeah, Michelle, just don't forget about the other guy, all right? Yeah, you know him, KJ. If you want a sure way to not have your letter read, <laughs> just say it. I'm not saying, but I'm just saying. <laughs> Ah, just kidding, Michelle. Uh, Katrina from West Virginia writes in. And uh, she gave us a link, Bill. I don't know if you got a chance to look at it, of a Bigfoot sighting in West Virginia. So she didn't actually see it, but she came across this link of a Bigfoot sighting um, um, back in 2021, so not that long ago, against along the uh, West Virginia New River Gorge. And uh, I checked out the pictures, a couple of pictures. I'm not sure, but I'd I'd love if there was some video to go along with it, of course. Yeah, and of course, here we are, Kev, right? We 
what can we say? We're looking at a picture like a non-believer right. and just saying, eh, well, I don't know. Uh, and that's where we're at with this thing, right? Yep. There's always a layer. Some of them are so obvious to me that they're fake. Uh, but others, you're on the fence, you know, and that's why it's it's all so difficult. Yeah. Because uh, we're all casting judgment, right? What do we do? We look at something and say, yeah, come on. But yeah. we are casting judgment on something that may have well been extremely legit. But because we don't like the picture or it doesn't talk to us enough, we kind of bow out, you know? Yep. It's a strange, strange... Uh, phenomena you know yep no doubt about it but uh yeah i'm not you know she asked hey what do you think i'm i'm not sure you know I, i'd have to see a little bit more to really call it one way or the other right you know i mean it's in I the would... daytime it's standing in the woods you know like next to a tree kind of peeking out from a tree you know fits Kev, fits I, the bill i, I want to see uh 19 minutes of uh, uninterrupted high-def uh, 4K video yeah. with uh, sound. High, Maybe an interview sound. with the hairy beast where he's I'd trying like to, to yeah. break into English but speaking like a Russian gibberish. Yeah, I'd like to talk to him myself. <laughs> uh, if that could be arranged, uh, you know, we'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and our last letter is pretty darn interesting as well, and this comes in from William. William uh, doesn't say where he's from, but he writes, Hey, WJ and and KJ, I've enjoyed the Bigfoot sightings you've shared from Teddy Roosevelt and Davy Crockett. I just ran across this one from Daniel Boone and thought I'd share it with you, which William, I hadn't heard about this one. And it's Mm -hmm. super cool. I think we're going to do a whole episode on it. Okay. But uh, I'll, you know, I'll talk a little bit about it here. Now, did you did you see this uh, this email, Bill? I do, Kevin. I think it's worth uh, a cryptids in the news and other oddities. Exactly, slot because it exactly. is extensive. Yeah, when I first saw it, you know, I'm glancing through it. And I'm like, oh, Daniel Boone, we did that one. I was like, oh no, we did Davy Crockett, not Daniel yeah. Boone. That's right, as he pointed out. So, uh, you know, this comes. Uh, um, out of a book uh, written about Daniel Boone and his uh, exploits, which was a 1992 biography by John Mac Farragher. Uh, sorry, John, if I'm sp- if I'm pronouncing your name ro- wrong, but I think it's John Mac Farragher called Daniel Boone: The Life and Legend of an American Pioneer. And in that book, um, the author claims that Boone said that he killed a 10-foot hairy giant that he called a Yahoo. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think down south, some of these backwater boys still call that creature a Yahoo. I have heard it before, but it's interesting. The author of this book, Farragher, noted that Boone was a big fan of Gulliver's Travels and that he likely borrowed the name Yahoo from that book, which featured creatures called yahoos that were giant beasts in human shape. I didn't know that, Bill. Huh. Me, me I haven't read Gulliver's Travel in, in 100 years, so uh, I didn't know that. So we got to check that out as well. What do you mean you haven't read it in 100 years? Are you a vampire? Uh-oh, did that slip out? <laughs> Are you a vampire? Answer me. <laughs> 
No, although I am a little homely. <laughs> but I do have all of my digits intact, at least of today, as of today. Do you have blisters on your fingers? <laughs> Did you dress her up as a witch? <laughs> Maybe the wart. Does she, does she float? <laughs> and the nose. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's uh, it this week, Bill. We uh, did a great job with the uh, Bulgarian vampire grave and the Bigfoot sighting in western North Carolina. And, folks, I want to give you a special thanks. You have been listening to my requests, and you've been giving us some stellar five-star reviews. And if you haven't given us one, please give us one right now on your favorite podcast player. And uh, those five-star reviews are critical for us to attract new listeners, and the new listeners allow us to stay on schedule and continue to improve the quality of the podcast. And Lord knows there's still room for improvement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And listen, I want every listener out there to go out and buy one book this month for yourself or somebody else. Go out there, show some support. Uh, there's nine volumes. There's audio books. Uh, so give it a shot. Help us out. And remember, if you find yourself strolling along on the Over Mountain Victory Trail, somewhere between Virginia and South Carolina. Based on today's account, I would strongly suggest that you always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.